Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Kevin Bupp. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show today. Of course, of course. And um, as you just mentioned before we started recording, this is your first interview ever. So this is going to be your best interview ever, I'm sure, because there's no comparisons. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, like I told you, I like to kind of fly below the radar. And uh, this is this is the first time I've actually officially been interviewed on a talk show. So I'm excited about it. Wow. Well, I know you're going to be great. And I know the best ever listeners are going to get a lot out of it uh, because you do have your own podcast where you interview real estate entrepreneurs and it is called the real estate investing for cash flow podcast so i know you've got a lot of experience doing this stuff on the other end of the microphone that's correct that's correct and Kevin, I wanted to speak with you and you know, share your insights with the best ever listeners because you, know, you, as you know, have completed over $40 million worth of real estate transactions. You've been in the industry for 14 years, and you've also got a crazy amount of entrepreneurial experience as well that a lot of real estate investors might not have that certainly can bring a different perspective to things, um, such as you've owned your own mortgage company, a printing company, an events company. So I'm certainly excited to hear uh, what your best ever advice is when we get to that. And um, I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be here. With that, can you, I know I just threw out a lot of different stuff that you've been focused on previously and um, your overall experience. Can you tell the best ever listeners a little bit about your real estate investing background? Sure, absolutely. Well, I started back when I was 19, and uh, I'm from a, I'm from a, I call it a small town, but it's actually the capital of Pennsylvania. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and um, graduated high school and and decided that I was just going to go to a local community college because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, and I didn't want to, you know, go wasting my parents' money away because I knew if I went away to school that I probably would just uh, party too much and not get anything done. So. I started taking general studies at a local community college and um, was in my second year and uh, started dating a girl and, and uh, met her, her actual her, her mother's boyfriend at the time. He was a local real estate investor and got talking to him one day about what he was doing and, and uh, the types of uh, things he did in his spare time and just the lifestyle he lived. And I thought it was very intriguing and um, kind of sparked a relationship with him. And, you know, we got talking about my life and how I really didn't have any direction. I was tending bar, going to college and just I was having fun, um, but I really didn't know where I wanted to be in life. I didn't know what I wanted to focus my energy on. So being the uh, the kind guy that he was, he actually invited me to a, a real estate seminar, uh, a boot camp that he had already uh 
purchased a ticket to, and I guess his partner couldn't go, and so it was like a three-day event in Philadelphia, and it was actually Ron Legrand. So for all of you guys that are that are listening that uh, that have gone through some boot camps and are in single-family home investing, you probably know the name Ron Legrand. He's kind of one of the original gurus. And uh, so anyway, so I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I attended this three-day boot camp in Philadelphia with uh, with David, who was uh, who ended up becoming my mentor, but he was a gentleman that was uh, introduced me to this real estate uh, investing business. Went to the boot camp, and after my first day there, I mean, there was probably about 200 people there. It was a big, big boot camp. I started talking to people and uh, learning about real estate investing, learning about investing in single-family homes, both wholesaling and doing fix and flips. And I met a lot of people, and I was thinking to myself, man, if, if these guys can do this, I, mean, I can do this. I mean, there weren't, there were some not so sharp people in that audience that had done some deals. And I just figured if I put my mind to it, it'd be something I could grasp onto and uh, I could possibly make some money out of it. So after I got home from that, that boot camp, I was pumped up, just like anyone is when you go to one of those, those three day events. I was all pumped up and gun ho and uh, ready to go make millions of dollars. And, Came back, you know, started focusing on how do I do my how do we do our first deal and brainstormed with David, who ended up becoming my mentor. And, you know, we just what we decided is that he had experience doing this and we figured it'd be best if uh, if I kind of just went underneath his wing for a while to, to learn truly the ins and outs before I went and spending my money. Because I did have some money saved up. He just didn't want me to make any mistakes. So what, what I did is I actually just followed him around, literally followed him around for like six months to a year went to his house during the day when I wasn't in school or when I was a bartending and just he worked out of his home office. So I just uh, watched what he did, listened to him on the telephone, uh, listened to him talk to realtors, went with him on appointments to view houses. He owned some apartment buildings as well and just kind of followed him around and just tried to learn the life of a real estate, a full-time real estate investor. And I think it was about a year into it. I think I was, uh, I just turned 20 years old, decided I was going to go ahead and pull the, the trigger on my first property, which was a an old dilapidated uh, row home in Harrisburg, in, in the city of Harrisburg, which I think I'm trying to recall. I think we paid, I paid $26,000 for it and uh, had a local private money guy. Actually, it was one of David's, one of his relationships that he had already built with a private lender. He lent me money on it for both the acquisition and repairs. I think I put like 5000 of my own money into it, paid twenty six for it. I think we put about ten into it and then uh, turned around and sold it for 59000 So, it was a good little first profit. That was about as much money as I made an entire year as a bartender. So I was I was pretty excited and ready to rock and roll. So uh, at that point, I was kind of on my way in, in this business, and I decided that I really wanted to do a few more deals. And then I decided I wanted to get the hell out of Pennsylvania once I finished school. So I actually finished school, uh, finished my last two years of uh, community college, got a degree. But while I was doing that, I was still doing deals, um, did a few more deals in Pennsylvania, Kind of the same things, you know. Did some wholesaling, but but really focused on doing fix and flips in the inner city, um, which probably wasn't the best idea because I had some really really rough run-ins with tenants, and it just it wasn't a good area back then. But anyway, I made money, finished up school, quit my job bartending, and decided I needed to get the heck out of Pennsylvania. And uh, I was either going to move out west, or I was going to move down south to where it was sunny and uh, there was white sand beaches. And I, I'm a huge, I love hiking, I love snowboarding. So it was either going to be Colorado for that, or I love the beach and I love boating and I love sand. So it was going to be Florida. So I threw them up in the air and uh, decided Florida was it. I gave it a go, moved down to literally packed up my Jeep, moved down to Florida. And kind of the rest is history. As soon as I got to Florida, Started pounding the pavement, got involved in real estate investment clubs. There was two at the time, which was kind of new to me because the town I came from, 
I had it. You literally had to travel an hour and a half to get to the, the closest real estate investment group. And I only met once a month. So I didn't have the opportunity to do the type of networking that I really wanted to do. So as soon as I got to Florida, you know, obviously a bigger city, bigger metro area. I took advantage of that, joined the local clubs, started learning the area. I think it took me probably took me about six months to eight months to do my first deal. And because I was trying to figure out what the you know, where the good areas were, what I wanted to focus on, really wanted to find out how to make money in this new market before taking any risk. So anyway, uh, started doing deals. And then uh, about, I guess about a year, year after I was living in Florida, you know, became very familiar with who was doing what, like who were the active, you know, movers and shakers uh, in the market. And then I'm partnering up with a, a group that was about an hour south of me. Um, they were in a town called Sarasota, Florida. And uh, they were a, a very experienced real estate investment group. I had, we had done some deals together. I had wholesale them some deals. I bought some deals from them. Um, so we knew of each other. We weren't necessarily partners. We hadn't partnered on anything, but we definitely exchanged some deals and uh, decided that we should uh, put our brains together. Uh, I was an hour away, so I was in a different market than them and put our brains together and start doing some acquisitions together. They were already buying on average of like 20, 10, actually about 10 to 15 homes a month when I met up with them in 2002. So we partnered together and we're averaging, you know, at the peak of the market, we're buying about 20 homes a month, um, single family homes. Uh, we're also buying some smaller multifamily stuff, um, you know, some 20 unit buildings, 24 unit. I think we had a 48 unit and just some other various multifamily properties. But um, so I continually did that for, I guess, you know, up until the market crashed. Uh, we were buying a lot of homes really for the long term buy and hold type strategy, which is kind of where our mistake uh, came into play. We were, I think, between our partnership, we end up with about 500 single-family homes. I mean, I, I wasn't a, a full partner on all those acquisitions. Uh, that that group actually had some of these homes before I got partnered up with them. But we were buying a ton of homes. I personally had over 100 single-family homes in my own portfolio and a bunch of other small multifamily type stuff. You know, everything was going great, making a ton of money. And, uh, and then the market crashed in 2007, 2008, and uh, things didn't go so well for us. You know, we, we bought everything right when we were buying it, you know, no more than 65 cents in a dollar. But the problem with where we were in Florida is not only did the real estate market crash in terms of value, but the rental market crashed as well. And, you know, there was a lot of spec builders down this way that were building brand new homes and they got stuck holding the bag with these brand new homes. So they ended up renting these homes for what we were renting our you know 20 and 30 year old homes for. And basically our, our little bit of cash that we had on these single family homes went bye bye, found ourselves in a position where we were, you know, kind of feeding an angry beast every month. So anyway, so we <laughs> I gave a lot of properties back to the bank back in those days. But I, I should probably back up a little bit. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because what I did simultaneously while I was doing these uh, these uh, purchases or doing the real estate investing, I also started the mortgage brokerage firm. I guess about a year after I had moved to Florida, I partnered up with a guy and we were had a pretty pretty big firm. We had 12 full-time loan officers. Uh, we were originating millions of dollars of loans each month, primarily focused on the subprime niche. We had a big direct mail campaign. I learned that business quite well. We were, actually had our own printing press and we're sending out like 100,000 pieces of direct mail each month. And so I was doing that simultaneously as we were buying homes and everything was going great. Everything was rosy. I didn't think it could go bad. And so, again, 2007 came and things kind of crashed. And then I, I gave, back, back, gave back about 90 percent of uh, my portfolio to the uh, to the banks and sold off my mortgage company, my, my ownership, my mortgage company. That was actually still going OK. And I sold that to my partner at the time. And then he actually ended up going out of business about a year after that. 
things weren't looking so great <laughs> in my life wow. uh, in, in 2008. So um, that's kind of the the real quick and dirty of uh, my initial experience in real estate. You know, the market crash was kind of good. I, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about real estate investing in general and, and what we really should have been focusing on. And we should have been focusing on more cash flow rich properties, properties. You know, for instance, my multifamily properties, I, I didn't give any of those back. Those are the only things that survived that downturn. I mean, I had a, some single family homes I owned free and clear that I ended up keeping or some that I had just they were in just key areas and they, you know, they survived. You know, the multifamily ones uh, were the only ones that really survived. At that point in time, you know, number one, I was licking my wounds for about, you know, for a couple of years and just wondering what was going to happen uh, in this world in general was kind of stuck in, in my local bubble, you know, not really seeing the light of, at the end of the tunnel. So when that all happened, I, I took a step back and kind of reevaluated my life and decided that I should probably instead of just sitting there licking my wounds saying, poor old me, I should probably put my energy and focus into something else until until the day comes where I feel like I want to get back into the real estate game. And so what I did at that point in time is I started a few other businesses. And um, as you had mentioned in the beginning, uh, you know, I, I do have some experience in opening other companies. And, you know, a few of the companies that I started after this crash was uh, I started a, a sports apparel company, which my wife and I are huge runners. Uh, we do marathons, half marathons. I'm a huge cyclist. So we were very active and uh, we're always doing races. This is the idea that we had years and years ago. At a, I think we were doing Chicago Marathon at the time, and uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to, to start a printing company that could make custom running clothes for for runners. Uh, a lot of runners that do their first races like to have custom printed clothing that have their names on it or maybe a charity or they're running for. So uh, I was like, you know what? Let's put our energy into that idea and see what happens. Just because I had time on my hands, <laughs> and uh, we started that company, and you know, within about six or seven months. Sales started happening, and uh, it was strictly online. So I, I learned how to build. I didn't build it myself. But I learned how to run a team of virtual employees from the Philippines. Uh, learned about the printing business. Brought a bought a ton of you know oversized large printing equipment. Bought an office to uh, to, to to run it out of, and uh, um, that that business is still running to this day. Getting back to, real quick to the single family homes, you'd mentioned you had uh, over a hundred single family homes in your portfolio. Then you know the market crashed, but you were buying it at 65 cents on the dollar. Uh, when the market turned, you know, looking back on it now, if you had bought for I think more cash flow rich properties, then that would have you know helped save some of those homes that you had mm -hmm. to give back. You mentioned you had to give 90% of them back. Um, not to pour salt in the wounds, but just to help you know understand a little bit more. What do you mean by cash flow rich properties? Because it sounds like if you buy for 65 cents on the dollar, then that should be it should have enough equity in it to sustain a, a crash. Yeah, well, in Florida is a you know somewhat unique. It's you know I know a lot of investors buy in the Midwest where the taxes are very low, insurance is very low. Well, in Florida, you, taxes and insurance are extremely high. If you really, when you start looking at the size of the management company we had, and you have multiple single-family homes spread out through, you know, six or seven different counties, which equated to about a 200-mile stretch. I mean, in, in between from the one that was further south to the one furthest north, you don't 
there's not a lot of buffer zone. So, I mean, even in the, even though we were buying for 65 cents on a dollar, I mean, that was actually with, with repairs included. I mean, we were really strict with keeping to our model um, that we would never pay more than 65 cents, you know, uh, of the after repaired value, including repairs. The average home that we had, you know, three bedroom, one and a half bath, three bedroom, two bath, um, would cash flow on average about 150 to $200 a month. But when you start factoring in the inefficiencies of such a large management company with single family homes popped up everywhere, insurance rates were going through the roof, especially after the hurricanes that we had. And it was just very difficult. If anything happened, I mean, if, if you had turnover, which happens with single family homes, I mean, if you had a tenant that tore up the carpet, well, there went our, there were, were in our cash flow for that year. It was gone. It's really easy to lose. Uh, if you're cash flowing $200 a month, and over a year, it's $2,400. It's very easy to lose that $2,400 if you have turnover. And turnover happens, uh, especially in the state of Florida. We were, you know, we were buying a lot of low-income areas, and Florida is just by nature a transient, transient state. You know, people come and go. I wish, when I say more cash flow rich, I wish I would have focused on multifamily. I wish I could have. If, if we look back, we'd have been able to spread out our risk over multiple units that were all close together, which you get some scales of economy and you get a lot of efficiencies in the management. You know, I think we were just stuck in our comfort zone with single family because that's what we knew. And, you know, we would make pops here and there. Um, typically, what we'd do is we'd buy and we'd wait until we got about 10 to 15 homes. And then we'd, we'd turn around and we'd take a commercial uh, line of credit, get our money back out, go buy more. And basically, that whole system had to continue working or else – Everything fell apart, and obviously, as you know, the capital markets crashed. We weren't able to uh, to get new loans. We weren't weren't able to get our investments out of these properties. Spec builders were renting new homes for as much as we were renting our old homes for. So we had to lower our rental rates, which completely squashed any cash flow we had, and it just it was impossible to survive, um, even though we had equity. But some of these markets we bought in that 65 cents in a dollar. These markets crashed more than 50 percent. Some of them, some of the markets we had crashed like 65 percent. Houses that we were buying for 60 grand, which was 65 percent, were selling, you know, in 2010 for, you know, 35, 40 thousand dollars. It was crazy. Right. So. Well, b- based on this experience, and I know you're real quick. You're currently focused on multifamily, correct? Yeah, multifamily, but with a very strong emphasis on mobile home parks, okay. which has been about two years now that we've really you know, honed our focus on mobile home parks. And so with your experience with you know, the, the crash where you, you had up to 100 single, over 100 single-family homes in your portfolio, mm-hmm. had a couple multifamilies, you're now focused on multifamily with a dedicated focus towards – mobile home trailer parks what would you say your best real estate investing advice ever is i'd say with me and this is just my opinion is uh no longer do i focus on buying for appreciation appreciation is kind of the icing on the cake so i say make sure that whatever you're buying and everyone's got a different target investment criteria that you know a good deal to me may not be a good deal to you in terms of what kind of returns you're looking to get make sure that whatever you're buying Make sure you already know in your mind what kind of returns you need to get on your money and make sure you're buying from a cash flow aspect and not just hoping that that market's going to keep increasing like like today. I mean, today is our markets are doing similar to what they were doing, you know, five, six years ago in terms of double digit appreciations and just focus on cash flow, focusing on making that monthly spendable money. Yeah, I, I call appreciation now funny money because it's not. 
it's not spendable unless you sell at the right time. Unless you buy now, it appreciates and you sell and you can get out of that investment, get your capital back. But if you're buying for cash flow, you're actually buying something that is going to continue paying month after month, no matter what happens with appreciation. So my advice would be buy for cash flow and have the appreciation be the icing on the cake. And, and going back to the the 100 home thing, it sounded like you were cash flowing. So what is the what's the learning there where you're buying for cash flow and well, is it also don't over leverage? Yeah, don't over leverage and you know it takes a lot of time. We, so it took us a long time and a lot of effort to buy that many single family homes. I mean that is a a full scale company to even to come up and buy 100 100 single family homes. It's a lot of work. How long and, did it, how long did it take? I guess about 5 years. Five years. I mean, I, that that was my portfolio. Like I said, I was investing with a group as well. I had some partners, uh, you know, a small percentage of some of the deals they were doing on their own. And combined, uh, we bought about 500 homes in a matter of about six years. But really, to do that many, I mean, as you know, you're a multifamily guy. The time it took us to buy 150 single-family homes that, you know, let's say, on average, they cash flowed 150, $150 a month a door. You can very easily go buy a 150-unit apartment building that has the same type of returns yep. and a lot easier to buy that one building in one location with, you know, maybe it has a couple roofs that it's underneath. And uh, obviously it's got individual ACs and things like that, but the efficiencies you get with the management are far superior to the efficiencies that you get in managing 150 single family homes, which I think is what these, a lot of these REITs that are buying these single family homes now are finding that that is the most challenging aspect of their acquisition is the management part of it. Trying to manage these thou- hundreds of thousands, or not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of single family homes that they're acquiring that are spread out all across the board. That's all. It just, you know, it's, uh, it was a challenge that we thought was achievable when we were doing it. But if we had looked back, if we would have evaluated our business as we were actually in the middle of it, we should have just taken our same efforts and bought multifamily properties because they probably would have survived the storm. At least most of them would have. It would have been a lot more efficient of a business and a lot, a lot less gray hairs on our part. <laughs> <laughs> and, so. and as you mentioned, the, the couple multifamilies that you had did survive the storm. That's correct. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Every, every, every single one of them. I, I didn't give. I didn't give one. Even even in like duplexes that we had, I didn't give one multi multifamily. And I, you know, a duplex I consider a multifamily, but we didn't give anything back in terms of multifamily. Yeah. But uh, about ninety percent of the single families went back, and uh, that's. You know, it is what it is. We we pulled the plug pretty quickly. In fact, we tried to divest as soon as we saw the market crashing and it happened so fast here in Florida. I mean, I mean, so fast that you're just head spinning. You're like, oh my gosh. By the time we realized that the market was starting to take a downturn, we started going through our portfolio, evaluating what current values were and actually trying to sell on about 80 cents in a dollar. But as soon as it started happening, people were realizing, everyone else realized that it was happening as well. And they're like, well, your 80 cents in a dollar isn't worth it because this market's literally dropping a couple percent a month. By the time we got to our bottom line of, okay, let's just get rid of this thing. Let's just, you know, get rid of it for what we owe. I mean, it was almost too late. I mean, it was crazy how fast it happened. And then, and then it just got to the point in time where we were, you know, we're also losing tenants because tenants were moving into these new homes or tenants were losing their jobs. A lot of the markets in Florida, the economy was based on, you know, construction jobs, you know, jobs that revolved around real estate. So you had construction jobs, title jobs, you had, you know, realtors that were making a ton of money back in the, back in the heyday that no longer had jobs or any kind of income. People were leaving Florida at that point in time, you know, faster than they're coming in. So 
it was a challenge. Again, learned a lot from it, but second time around is a little different for me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, are you ready, Kevin, for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. Best ever book you've read? I'd have to say, you know, I, I thought about this for a while, and it re- think and grow rich. Really, I mean, it's it's not specific to real estate, but it's specific to business and a mindset. And uh, by far, it's probably the most valuable book that's ever been handed to me. Best ever personal growth experience and what you've learned from it. And we might have already talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we just – actually, we just did talk about it. And uh, there's actually – it's kind of twofold. Number one is uh, you know buy for cash flow. But number two, what else came out of that is I've got – I've got terrible. I had terrible credit. My credit was completely wrecked, and it really taught me to not rely on being able to go get credit or financing. So it, it helped me get a lot more creative with our acquisitions and my mindset. So huge, valuable lesson I, that I took away from uh, my big loss was uh, being able to get a lot more creative with our acquisitions. Well, you've certainly piqued my curiosity with that. I'm sure the best ever listeners are wondering too. What are some creative ways that you've used to finance multifamily properties? Well, that's it. So with mobile home parks, it's it's a unique niche in that there's a lot of parks that are still owned by the original mom and pop developers or at least a second generation. You know, most mobile home parks were built between like the years of uh, 1960 to 1980. That's kind of when the, the big percentage of them were built. So a lot of these owners that own these things uh, are still the original mom and pops. They're getting up there in age. You know, they're in their 70s. Some are in their 80s. In fact, I just talked to a guy yesterday that was 93 and he's owned this park for like 33 years and there's no debt on them. A lot of times it's very easy to uh, to negotiate an owner sale type finance or an owner, owner finance type sale. So, I mean, that's not that's not out of the box creative, but it was one of the things that attracted me to the niche of mobile home parks. And it was I mean, it's just it's that that one extra uh, or that one less barrier to entry in terms of acquiring some large, uh, larger properties. The last assets, the last four assets that we've purchased are, have all been owner finance type deals. So, and have they been mobile home trailer parks? Three of the four have, yes. Best ever success habit you practice? Being healthy, uh, and and what what I mean by that is um, just having a healthy diet and exercising on a regular basis. Even though some days I wake up and I don't want to do it, I have a regular exercise routine. Uh, I'm a, I'm big in the running. I cycle a ton. I normally get up at wee hours of the morning before my family wakes up to get out and, and get a good workout in. So and it makes my day that much more productive. I mean, my brain works better. Everything just works better. And I have so much energy after I'm done working out that it just, uh, I feel like it's made me a more successful person, um, keeping a healthy and active lifestyle. Best ever deal that you've done? Actually, it might be one of the recent uh, mobile home parks we purchased. It's a, it's a small park up in Atlanta. It's a, a 29 space, actually a 35 space park, 29 uh, uh, 29 trailers in it. Uh, very very new infrastructure. We paid two hundred thousand dollars for it from the bank. It's it's in Atlanta Metro. It's in a major market, and um, we've put about another two hundred into it in uh, capital improvements and. We're almost at stabilization. We're about a month and a half away from it. And uh, that park, conservatively speaking, based on cap rates uh, in that market, that park is going to be worth about $1.15 million. So that was a very quick deal. We bought it back in March. Uh, Didn't take too many months to turn it around. Pretty big ROI on that deal. Wow. That is a fantastic deal. How did you find it? It's funny. I, I tell people to kind of stay away from LoopNet because it's a lot of trash on there, but uh, I still scour it every once in a while, and I found that deal on LoopNet. Um, it was actually the, the bank that had it. 
gave it to a, a residential real estate agent in that market, which knew nothing about mobile home parks, knew nothing about the asset itself, hadn't even seen the property and had a listing on LoopNet, but he had no financials about it. He had no pictures of the property, not even barely a description. So I'm assuming that he didn't get hardly any calls, but something about the ad intrigued me and I called him and realized that there was an opportunity there. And uh, since they hadn't had any activity on it, we beat them up on price and basically bought it for half of what they were even asking, which was what they were asking was still a good deal. And uh, so that's it. We bought it on LoopNet, which is very surprising. Wow, that is. <laughs> I, I love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, LoopNet, LoopNet is essentially you can find you can find a needle in the haystack if you look. And uh, so what I do is I on LoopNet, if you have a premium account, you can set alerts. And I have alerts set. So every day or every other day, I get emails saying about a new property listing. And I look at it. And, I mean, you know, you look at a thousand deals to find one that may make sense. Um, you know, most of the time, LoopNet is basically it's I call it the trash can for the for the brokers deals. The brokers shop their deals to all their pocket buyers and the pocket buyers pass on the deal. Well, it's probably not that good of a deal. So they go, OK, last ditch effort. Let's throw it on LoopNet and see what see what happens. And uh, but that obviously didn't hold true on this particular property. Best ever quote. Best ever quote. Hmm. I have to think about that one for a minute. I think my the best ever quote that I love. In fact, it's sitting on my desk here. I have like this little metal plaque, and I love it because it's what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I don't know who the author is. I don't know if, if there is a known author for that quote, but I love the quote just because it, it, it holds true. I mean, really, everyone out there that's listening to this, I mean, think to yourself real quick. I mean, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail, whether it's in your personal life, in business, relationships, whatever it may be? You'd make yourself more vulnerable. You'd put yourself out there more often, and I just think that's an awesome quote. Kevin, what's the best ever place to reach you? Uh, easiest way to reach me is on my website. It's uh, kevinbupp.com. My last name is spelled B as in boy, U, and two Ps like Paul. So kevinbupp.com. That's the best way to get me. And then what about your podcast? Yeah, yeah. I don't have a, a, a website for my podcast, but you can go find my podcast on iTunes it's called Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow, or you can actually access it through my website, KevinBub.com. So it's an awesome show. I just like just like Joe's show, I interview experts and just really dig into their story and uh, their experience in real estate investing. So it's a lot of fun, and, and we've got some great uh, great guests that we've had on the show over the past, uh, I guess it's been about eight or nine months now. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate you taking time to speak with the best ever listeners and talk about your you know, really tales of two investing lives and what you're focused on now and what you learned from your previous life and how it all ties together and creative financing and um, mobile home trailer parks. Yeah, uh, that, that's something that I I've, haven't ever focused on and, and don't know uh, really anything about uh, in terms of evaluating financials. And um, it's great to hear that there are a lot of good deals there and even – Good deals on websites that are are not known for good deals. Um, so that's that's uh, really cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, thanks for having me on the show, Joe. It's been a lot of fun, and I uh, look forward to uh, to come back on in the future sometime and giving you guys an update on what's happening with us. All right, sounds good, Kevin. All right, thanks. Take a lot. care, Joe. Bye bye. Hey you, best ever listener, do you want more? Then head to joefairless.com where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on joefairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe.